We live in a time where the church is dominated by false teaching, the blending of truth and error. But now, there's finally someone who's taking a stand. This is the Gatekeepers Radio Show, hosted by Jeff the GK. to the Gatekeeper Radio Show. This is episode one of season one of Gatekeepers Radio here on the Worldview Radio Network. Now when Brandon approached me to have this radio show, I was kind of hesitant at first. This is not something that I ever wanted to do. It never entered my mind. It wasn't anything that I was striving for. But when he offered me a weekly half-hour radio show where I could kind of discuss some of these issues that I've been exploring on Twitter, I thought, hey, you know what? This will give me an opportunity to force me to study these issues and make sure that I actually understand what it is that I believe. And then I can share some of these, some of these things that I'm learning with you, the audience. Now, some of you may know me as... Jeff the GK on Twitter. I know that Jim White and Phil Johnson for sure know who I am, as they have publicly ridiculed me many, many times. So if you want to see some of that, you can go on Twitter yourself, and you can see some of the, some of the loving terms that these that these men of God have bestowed upon me. But you can also take a look at what I've said, and you can see, hey, you know what? Who's right? Who's wrong? Do I agree with Jeff? Do I not agree with Jeff? Here's the thing. If you're on Twitter, follow me. If you're listening to the show, if you see something that I post on Twitter and you have a question or a concern or a very strong disagreement, I beg of you, tell me, tweet me, share it with me. I try to respond to everybody who tweets at me. I try to take the time to discuss the issues. And here's why. I don't just want to drop a bomb and say, hey, you know what, this is what I believe, take it or leave it. Because if I say something, I should be able to back it up. I should be able to withstand criticism of my beliefs. And so if you're on Twitter and you have an issue with something that I say, confront me, tell me, share it with me, and I will be more than happy to discuss it with you. Now, dealing with this radio show... My focus isn't going to be on calling out the charismatics, necessarily, or on things that are happening outside of the church, or on confronting, let's say, the the Word of Faith, Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, all those crazy wackos out there that are just a bunch of scam artists that are being investigated by the FBI. No, those are easy targets. Anybody with a brain... And God's word knows that they're wrong and that they are leading people to eternal damnation in hell. That's the easy target. Now, I'm not saying that the ministries that focus on them are bad. They're not. They need to be exposed. They need to be proven false. Those people that are under those people's teaching are going to hell more than likely and need to be evangelized to. Because they have a false sense of salvation. So I commend the people 
that are confronting those false teachers. However, there's less ministries and radio shows that focus on the heresies and the theological error within the mainstream conservative evangelical Bible teaching Christianity. And we've seen a lot of that more recently, especially dealing with this whole interfaith dialogue thing that we're going to get into later in the show and then, and then in upcoming shows as well. But I am very, very concerned because certain ministries that I used to think were the final stand against theological error are beginning to compromise. And as I'm talking more and more to people in the know, behind the scenes, who are friends with a lot of these guys, it's even more concerning. Because there's this entire ecosystem within the conservative Calvinistic Reformed Church. There's the speaking circuit, which you can earn thousands and thousands of dollars for giving one or two sermons in a weekend. There's millions of dollars at stake when it comes to selling books. I mean, there's Bible teaching ministries, Bible teaching ministries that are bringing in like $20 million a year. And if you look them up on online, they've got like 10 to $15 million just sitting in the bank. Millions of dollars. And what's beginning to happen is truth is beginning to be combined with error. And these churches and ministries are beginning to compromise because it's now their friends that are in, it, that are in error. It's no longer crazy obvious. It's no longer, well, he's a good guy and he's a bad guy. It's now, well, he's a good guy, but man... That was heretical. That was unbiblical. And then you have these Bible-believing, Bible-teaching ministries that are giving them a pass because of who they are and who they know. Not based on what they are saying. Do you see how wrong this could be? So this is really what's driving me to have this show. And what encouraged me to say, you know what, Brandon... Thank you for inviting me to have this show. Because these are some serious times and some serious issues that we need to deal with. But before we dive into all that, I want you to kind of get to know me a little bit. Again, like I said at the top of the hour, top of the half hour, is that what you call it? I'm trying to get down this radio lingo. Uh, so we'll see. Brandon, you can correct me later. Anyways... As I said at the beginning of the show, my name is Jeff. Uh, I was born into a Christian family. Uh, as a child, I grew up going to John MacArthur's church. Uh, even growing up, even after my family moved away from Southern California, uh, my family always listened to John MacArthur's sermons, always watched all of his videos, got all of his books. I grew up with this pastor basically framing my theological belief system. On most theological points, I agree with John MacArthur. 
There's a lot of practical things that I disagree with him on. There's a, there's a few minor theological things, but for the most part, if you say John MacArthur believes that, more than likely I believe it. Again, there's a few variances, but for the most part, that would be it. But growing up, it was kind of, kind of a legalistic fundamentalist raising of me, shall we say. And that was, that was hard for me. It was hard for me to really understand the grace of God when I was basically having to earn my salvation. You know, when I was nine years old is when I, quote-unquote, said the prayer. I don't know if that's when I necessarily became a Christian or not. But for some reason, at that time, that's when it clicked with me. And I remember we were visiting churches after we had just moved to Arizona. And the pastor was talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and our need for repentance and to turn and place our faith in Christ. Now remember, I'm nine years old. And for some reason, it clicked. And I was like, you know what? If I die today, I don't know what's going to happen to me. So I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, moving forward, nothing really changed in my life. I was still the same Jeff that I had always been. So I don't know if I if I if I would have died at that point if I would have gone to heaven or not. I don't know. And that's something that I've kind of wrestled with. At what point do you become a Christian? Then when I was about 13 or 14 years old, I went on a missions trip to Topeak, Mexico. And I saw missionary work firsthand. We were down there for about 10 days or so. And we saw these missionaries down there that were ministering to the very strong Catholic Mexican community down there in Topeak. And I realized how important this, this work is that they were doing. And that's really when I began to see the need for an actual relationship with Jesus. It wasn't just the legalism that the Catholics do. It's living for Christ. It's obeying him because you want to, not because you have to. And at that point was really when things began to turn around for me. So that's when I would say that I, would, that I repented. That's when I know for sure that I became a Christian. Because I actually repented of my sins and I started actively following after Christ. And so went through high school. I was always involved in, in some sort of leadership and youth. Uh, I, I used to be the sound guy uh, for the worship band. And then uh, as I got up into junior year of high school, I began to actually lead worship for the youth ministry, which was, which was really cool. Uh, wasn't any, again, it wasn't anything that I really expected to do. Uh, one Sunday morning, I was just asked to lead worship. I did, and it just kind of stuck. 
I really enjoy music. I've written some songs. I'd have loved to eventually record, but you know, that's, that's a whole other area. And then when it was time to go to college, I was, I was getting recruited to play basketball. Uh, some Ivy League schools were going after me. Uh, but my final three were Wheaton College, Multnomah College, and Southwestern College. They were all recruiting me to play basketball. I flew out on my college visit out to Wheaton College, had a great time there. I was really close to going there, but because they're a Division three school, they didn't offer scholarships, so I didn't go there. And looking back, I'm very thankful for multiple reasons. Number one, well, let me back up a little bit. I ended up choosing Southwestern Bible College in Arizona, so I stayed home. To, so that way I could be the youth intern at the youth ministry that I was a part of. But I'm very thankful that I stayed at home. Number one, because I met my now wife first week of school. We were, we've been inseparable for now 12 years, almost six years of marriage now. But the other side of it, looking at Wheaton College, they've compromised a lot. I mean, my college kind of compromised too. But I at least had some solid Bible teachers. I know Wheaton has, has, they have compromised quite a bit. And so I am thankful that I didn't end up going there. So anyways, I was a youth intern for about a year at, uh, at this church in Arizona. I was leading worship. I was doing all that. Uh, the church was going through a building program at that time. They built a new building primarily for the youth. And then uh, they had a few Sunday school classes and that sort of thing downstairs. And I remember the first week after they'd finished building that building, yeah, a little repetitive there, but the first week after the building opened and we were having band practice before youth night and I was walking around with some of the pastors and they were making comments like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. And I was like, wait, what are you talking about? You know, all the scope that we've got a huge room for this youth ministry that's growing. And the response is, yeah, but see, the senior citizens class is also in this building. And they're not going to like this music. And they're the ones that have the money. And they're not going to be happy if they're having to compete with your loud music. And I took a, and I, literally, I took a step back and I was like, wait, that's the focus? You're afraid that they're going to stop giving because the youth ministry is growing and might be a little loud? Why don't we? F so they literally took away this building that they built for the youth ministry and stuck us back in this tiny little room so that way it didn't affect the offering on Sunday. That was the first time where I was like, wait, this isn't ministry? This is a job? This is a business? And then I got on another job at another church as, as the worship leader for the church. And that was another great experience. I had always worked with youth. This was the first time really working with the main church service. And I got involved, and up until that point, I didn't really care about theology all that much. I didn't really care about uh, what was right and what was wrong. I just figured, hey, we're all Christians. Hey, you know what? We all believe the same. We all believe in Jesus. We all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so... After I started leading worship there is when my eyes started opening to the fact that, hey, you know what? All these people may not be Christians. When you have a church that is promoting Joel Olstein and Ed Young, 
and Rick Warren, and they refuse to preach about sin and just about being a better you, these people that I'm leading worship the Almighty God aren't even Christians. And then I got in trouble for doing a Bible study with the band dealing with the crucifixion and sin and repentance. That will open your eyes. And from that point forward, I started really focusing on theology and understanding what is it that I actually believe. Because this is important stuff. If I believe wrong, we're dealing with life and death. We're dealing with eternity. If I get the gospel wrong and salvation wrong, the people that are hearing me may have a false sense of salvation when they don't actually have it. That's why, that's really what has driven me, and that's why the gospel is so important. That's why I care about when James White doesn't preach the entire gospel during his interfaith dialogue. That's why I care when repentance is left out of a gospel presentation. Because if you don't repent, you're not saved. Do you understand that? If you don't repent, you're not saved. Now you can say, well, you know, what comes first? Repentance or salvation? I've been asked this multiple times. My response, what came first, the chicken or the egg? We can deal with those issues. We can split those hairs after we, after we are saved. But whether repentance happens before you become a Christian, or as a response to God opening your eyes, doesn't change the fact that we need to repent. Now, I heard, I heard a quote, and I don't remember who this was from. Maybe somebody can tell me. But they said, I want to, I want to believe like a Calvinist, but live like an Armenian. That's how I feel. I want to believe in the fact that Jesus predestined me and that once saved, always saved. And that God opened my God opens my eyes, and it's not because of me, it's because of him that I'm saved. But I want to preach the gospel and beg people to turn to Christ and repent of their sins as if I don't believe that. Does that make sense? It doesn't, it kind of makes sense and it kind of doesn't. But I think it makes I think it makes sense in my mind at least, and it gives me motivation. Because one of the biggest criticisms of Calvinists like myself, is that you're not motivated to preach the gospel. You're not motivated to save because you just believe that God will save who he saves and there, that's it. But when you start thinking, there's a tension there. There's a tension between God's election and God's sovereignty and also our personal responsibility. Because here's the thing, we all deserve hell. Our responsibility and the punishment for our sins is eternal life in hell, apart from Christ. And so when I go out preaching the gospel or I'm sharing my faith with my friend, I'm begging them to turn to Christ. I'm begging them to repent of their sins 
because that's the only way that they're going to avoid hell and they're going to be able to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Again, we're dealing with eternity. Once you're dead, there's no going back. Once you're gone, there's no chance. I don't care what Rob Bell says. This is a one-and-done deal. You get one life. If you get this wrong, <laughs> there's no fixing it. That's why this is so important. That's why I care. Now, when I get criticized for beating a dead horse, for being a one-track mind on this whole thing with James White, and again, I'm going to get into this whole James White thing later, um, probably in the next episode, and we'll really dive into this. But I want you to understand, this is what's really driving me. We are dealing with the eternal souls of people. If we get this wrong, we are sending them to hell. We better get our gospel pro proclamation correct. We better get our gospel presentation correct. Because if these people don't hear the gospel, they have nothing to respond to. You can say, well, Jesus, the Holy Spirit could save them no matter what you say. That is not true. I couldn't say, you know what? I'm going to lay some truth down on you. The sky is green. And the Holy Spirit's going to open their eyes and they're going to see, I need to repent. No, that's idiotic. It does matter what you say. It does matter how you say it. The words that you say and the gospel that you present does matter. Yes, Jesus could save anybody. The Holy Spirit could open anybody's eyes. But the Holy Spirit does that when we obey him and preach the gospel. There's a reason why Jesus sent the apostles and thus everyone after them out into all of the world to preach the gospel. He didn't say, just go out there and I will open people's eyes. No, we go out and we preach the biblical gospel, which is that we are all sinners. And because we're all sinners, we have offended a righteous and holy God. And by doing so, we deserve eternal death in hell, which is torment, which is painful. There's no relief. There's no getting out of it. But because God loved us, he sent his only son, who is deity himself, to earth to live a sinless perfect life because only that way could his death and sacrifice for us pay the penalty for our sins because we deserve death he died for us on the cross and then proved that he is in fact god by raising from the dead three days later and that by Placing our faith in the work that Jesus did on his cross, on the cross, by placing our faith in Jesus, repenting of our sins, 
and making him Lord of our life and following after him, we might have eternal life. Now, there's a lot of other peripheral issues that you can get into, but that is the gospel. That is the crux of the gospel. You could get into the Trinity. You can get into the virgin birth. You can get into creation. You can get into a lot of things, but that's like, you have to get that. All the rest of the stuff we can teach later. But if you don't get that, people are going to hell because they're not hearing the truth and the true gospel. As you can tell, I'm a little worked up. And I'll probably get a little bit more worked up as we go along in future weeks and future episodes. But I want you to understand something. This is important. And I don't care if James White is going to make excuses for himself. He failed. And anybody who defends him saying, oh, well, you know what? He proclaimed the gospel is wrong and is partaking in his sin by not calling him to repentance. This is important. It's not just about James White himself. This is about the eternal destiny of these listeners. And this is going to be the main focus of this show, is making sure that the gospel is right and that the important things are right. And that we're defending theology and we're defending the true gospel, not defending our buddies who, are, who have speaking engagements with us and whose books we like and who also, in return, promotes our ministries as well. It's not give some, take some. It's not you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's none of that. I don't care who it is. I'll call Brandon out to his face. I don't care. I'll call J James White out. I'll call Phil Johnson out. I will call anybody out. But here's the deal. The gospel matters. Truth matters. There's only one way to salvation. And that's through Jesus Christ. And if we get the gospel wrong, everything is wrong. And people will go to hell. So it's important that we get this message right. Thank you for tuning in. Follow me on Twitter at JeffTheGK. I pray that God will go with you, study his word, pray, and I'll see you guys next week. Gatekeepers Radio Show, hosted by Jeff the GK. For more information, please visit gatekeepersonline.com and follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff the GK.